Man, you were more rowdy during the worship that the announcements put you to sleep. Now I got my work cut out for me. I'm going to have to get you revved up, jacked up, excited, jumping up. You ready to go? Yes. All right. You know what I've noticed? I've only got visitors sitting on the outside. All the guys who know what I'm like are sitting two, three seats in. I say that because I usually mess with the guy sitting on the end. I don't know you. What's your name? Uh, my name's Freddie. Freddie? Okay. You're inducted. That's it. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I love you using human examples, and so I'll often pick on people. This guy is a little bit more accustomed to me, so I will pick on Isaac. How's that? All right. I've been teaching a series for King and Kingdom. I started this series by preaching a message, two firsts. There are two firsts. There are two things that Jesus said has to be number one. You run a marathon, there's only one first. You play a World Series, only one team comes first. You play a Super Bowl, there's only one team. But Jesus said there are two things that have to be first. Number one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, all your strength. That's first. God must be first. The moment God isn't first, something else is God. And you might say, well, I don't have any idols. I don't have uh, any other gods. The moment God isn't first, you are. And that's a God. And Jesus said, you've got to put God first. You will never have the correct balance in life. You will never have divine order. You see, having God at the center of your life keeps your life centered. Amen. Hello? Amen. Well said. And so, first, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your strength, and all your might. Number two is still number one. The second thing he said must be first is the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else you need, everything else you want. Your father knows you need them. They are legitimate things and he will give them to you. You see, God is saying to the church, come on, take care of my business and trust that I'll take care of your business. We have strayed from the gospel. We have reduced the gospel to, you must be born again, ask Jesus in your heart, and then we turn God into a Santa Claus or a vending machine who all he wants to do is give you everything you want. Well, God does want to bless you, and God does want to bring you your breakthroughs, but God is calling us as sons to head up the family business and the family business is the kingdom of God and we are meant to advance the kingdom of God here on earth. We're not here to play church. We're not here to look religious. We're not here to be smug. We're not here just to be a crowd. We are here to be united in purpose and vision and from Sunday to Saturday, live with an intensity that wants to make a mark on earth for Jesus Christ. I said in the earlier service, there isn't a demon in hell who's on strike. There isn't a demon on hell, in hell who's gone AWOL. There isn't a demon in hell who's 
lazy and just lounging around. Every demon is actively involved because they fear Satan. And you know what their goal is? To steal, to kill, to destroy. Their whole purpose is to break up marriages. Their whole purpose is to get into the head of young men and get them sidetracked and into crazy stuff because they want to destroy your life. Their whole purpose is to make people miserable. Their whole purpose is to rip people's lives apart. And they don't go on strike. They don't go AWOL. They're not lazy. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, take up your cross because there's going to be sacrifice. If you want to experience the fullness of the kingdom of God, it's not cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. If you want to experience the fullness of God, then you have to follow the fullness of what Jesus did. And when we lay down our lives for something bigger than us, God will make our lives bigger than we ever imagined it could have been. When we lay our lives down for the king, when in our heart we can say for king and for kingdom, when we truly make this more than, well, I believe in Jesus, I carry him in my hip pocket. Oh no, no. I am a follower of Jesus and I'm looking to imitate him. I'm looking to reproduce men and women who will imitate him. Everything about me is about making every child of God a warrior and a threat to the kingdom of darkness. Demons want to do nothing but obliterate humanity. And Jesus is looking for his sons and his daughters to help restore humanity. Bring the message, the good news. Get people back into the kingdom of God. Let the spirit of God work miracles in their lives. Demons aren't lazy. Demons aren't on strike. Demons aren't absent without a leave. They are actively doing their work. And Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. He was 12 years old. His parents were negligent. They were halfway home from a religious festivity. And they realized they didn't have their son with them. They went back to Jerusalem, and when they found him, he was talking with the religious leaders and throwing questions at them and stumping them and coming up with answers they had never considered. And Jesus' parents, not to be embarrassed, they said, why would you do this to us? Why are you still here? Why didn't you follow us? And Jesus turned to them as a 12-year-old, not rebellious, but humbly said, you should have known I would have been about my father's business. When you and I stand before the king of kings, when we stand before God, God's going to say, were you about my business? I think it is a tremendous honor that I am born again. I don't take it for granted. I could preach for the next 10,000 years and I will not have earned the grace 
that washes away my sins. What an honor to be born again. But more than that, what an honor to be a son, a daughter. What an honor. He doesn't just graft you in and adopt you. He says he makes you a co-heir with Jesus. I don't belong on that level. I have no right to that fame. I have no claim to being a co-heir with Jesus. But this is the amazing grace of God. He loves us beyond human comprehension. He doesn't just forgive us. He puts us back where man was meant to be before the fall. We are meant to be God's representation. We are meant to be the breath of God here on earth, bringing the fragrance of God. Somebody say amen. My message this morning is entitled Shepherds, Hirelings, and Sheepish Behavior. In John 10, verse 11 to 13, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, and I will lay down my life for the sheep. He said, but sometimes there are hired shepherds, hirelings, people who are hired, and they only do it for the pay. They only do it for the money. They only do it because they like having a position. They only do it because they want to be a leader. He said, and when trouble comes, the hireling is the first one to leave. A shepherd will stay in the middle of trouble and he will go through the valley of the shadow of death with the sheep because he's willing to lay down his life. He's willing to make the sacrifice. He already signed up and agreed that he will carry his cross. Jesus said, if you're not willing to carry your cross, you're not worthy of me. We're so afraid to make a demand on people's lives. I don't make a demand on your life for my sake. I make the demand on your life that Jesus makes. And for his sake, no demand is a request too great. One of my heroes was a famous cricketer, uh, an Englishman. He was knighted and famous during his period. And in the height of his fame, he came to know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. In the midst of hobnobbing with royalty, because he was a knight. He was a star athlete. He was every little boy's hero. He hung up his cricket bat and he became a missionary to India. And this is what he said. If Jesus Christ is God, if Jesus Christ is God and he died for me, then there is no sacrifice too great for me to make for him. Jesus preached there are two firsts. The first first is God. The second first is the kingdom of God. And that God will look after everything about our lives. You see, he's not just someone I believe in. He's my life. Brian, you fix roofs, you do roofs. 
It's an unpaid ad. You do a good job. But Jesus isn't something that just fits in your wallet. He's your reason for living. He's your reason for being. I'm looking at you and I got a, a mental pause in my head. Uh, I know your name. Tina. Tina, ever since you found Jesus wedged between the motorboat propeller and the boat, sliced up and about to die, and Jesus showed up underneath the boat, he's not just a pin you put in your lapel. He's in a moment of experience. You came to know him as the lover of your soul, the one person, the one entity who will always understand you, know you, get you, and he will always stand up for you. You see, this gospel, if it's a religion, it's already dead. This isn't religion. I'm living Jesus. I'm living for Jesus. I'm living with Jesus. We're called to live with Jesus. We're called to breathe and drink Jesus. We're called to be representatives of the kingdom of God here on earth. We don't need church. We don't need religion. We need the sons of God to stand up and echo through the atmosphere that we are here for king and for kingdom. Can I get an agreement today? Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd, but there are hired hands, hirelings, who will run. Let me get into God's heart for a moment and show you something about how God thinks. Because God is very, very seriously concerned about his kids. You see, in the Old Testament, God's people are referred to as sheep. Israel was referred to as sheep. And this is what God says about the shepherds looking after the sheep. In Jeremiah chapter 23, we're going to put it on the screen. He says, woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. In God's expectation... The shepherds are meant to tend the people. A hireling wants sheep so that the sheep can tend to the need of the shepherd. We, we have twisted the analogies of the word of God and we've made ministry about us rather than ministry about the people. In the kingdom of God, you can't be a leader unless you're a servant. In the world, the more you can boss people around and stand your ground, you make a great leader. In the kingdom of God, that doesn't fly. In the kingdom of God, you have to be willing to lay down your life and make sacrifice for others. Those are the leaders. That's why Jesus said the first will be last, and the last will be first. What the world has become is the virtual opposite of what the world was meant to be. And so he's talking about his shepherds. 
And he says, because you have scattered my flock and driven them away, and you have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. I myself will gather the remnant of the flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their pasture, where they will be fruitful and increase in number. And I will place shepherds over them who will tend them, and they will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. You see, God has an expectation of shepherds, and the expectation is that a shepherd is supposed to tend to the sheep. What a vast difference when we look at the religious world today, when we look at what we see as religion and church on TV, and so often it is the opposite of what God intended it to be. The people are there to serve our purposes. No, they're not. We're here to serve the needs of the people. What was supposed to make democracy great was that our government was meant to meet and serve the needs of the people. And how ugly and how abusive it becomes when every politician is there because they're getting wealthy and it's all about them and it's all about how they can stay in power and stay in position because they found a good life. What was meant to be a beautiful philosophy of democracy Men serving other men and women and meeting the needs of the consensus. Now, I'm not preaching democracy. I believe in a theocracy. But we have too many corrupt people to have a theocracy today. But surely we should have a theocracy in the house of God. Amen. And so God says when shepherds are shepherding because they want to be seen, they want to be heard, they want to get rich, he said, they aren't looking after my sheep the way they're supposed to. And I will bestow on them trouble for the fact that they have not taken care of my people. You see, church, God puts a very high expectation on shepherds. Why? Because he puts a very high value on you. Amen. He will judge his leaders. The people that Jesus had the most trouble with were the religious people of his time. He will judge his leaders if their heart isn't to look after the people. He will judge the leaders if they're just doing it for show, they're doing it for pop, they're doing it for, for ce celebrityism, they're doing it for their own vested interests. In this church, I tell you right now, I pick leaders by who serves best. That's right. Because people who serve best do it from the heart, not from the head. And in the world, we pick people based on charisma and we pick people based on how, how well they can talk, how well they can stand their ground and lead. But Jesus says, no, you called to lead by example. That means you do it first. Amen. Come on, church. Are you with me? Are you hearing me? 
And so God puts a high expectation on his, his shepherds. He says, I will judge them because they have not really cared about the people and looked after the people. And the only reason why God will put such a high expectation on the shepherds is because he puts a great value on the sheep. I turn to the person next to you, turn to somebody and say, I'm really important to God. This isn't a game. Go on, say it. This isn't a game. My welfare, come on, say it. My welfare and my well-being is so important that God will hold Pastor Rob accountable. I'm not kidding. I'm not. And I take this very seriously. I don't do this so that I get wealthy. I don't do this so that I'm famous. Heck, if I wanted to be famous, I would preach completely different than how I preach and I would attract a bigger crowd. I am more convinced about the truth than I am about my own popularity. God will hold shepherds accountable because the sheep are important. But let me ask you a question. What does God expect from sheep? If he holds shepherds accountable, what does God expect from sheep? You see, before I expound on that further, I want to quickly, and I won't do justice to it, but I want to very, very quickly outline the qualities of a good shepherd. In Psalm 23, starting with verse 1, David says, the Lord is my shepherd. And now he starts to give an analogy about God's relationship with him. He says, the shepherd takes the sheep to green pastures. Number one, he'll take them to a place where they are well fed. I'm not going to preach stories that just make you laugh and make you have a good time. I'm going to bring you a balanced diet. And that means sometimes you're going to eat things you don't really like, but they are very nutritious for you. Amen. And they need to be in your diet. Can I get an amen at least from all the moms? Amen. <laughs> when your kids only want to eat ice cream. Chicken nuggets. <laughs> or chicken nuggets. Right. A little bit of home-cooked meals, a bit of sweat, and uh, a lot of time. But it's because you love them and you care about them. And so shepherds are supposed to bring sheep to green pastures. It would be wrong if I only preached to you what you want to hear. In fact, the apostle Paul says, in the last days, there will be shepherds who will tell the people exactly what they want to hear because their own popularity is more important than the truth. David says, you bring me to green pastures. He takes the sheep to still waters. This may not sound very deep, but the point is this. When a sheep has a lot of wool, it's important that he, the shepherd takes them not just to water, but where the water is still. 
Because the sheep will walk into the water. And if he doesn't walk the extra mile to where the brook stops rushing, if he doesn't walk the extra mile and take them to still water, he's lazy. And around this bend, well, this is the quickest path. Let me take the sheep down there. They could get a drink. But the water is rushing around the bend. And as the sheep go to take a drink, the water gets in their wool and it pushes them downstream. And they run the risk of breaking a leg and losing their life. And so when it says that he brings me to still water, what it's saying is that a good shepherd will go the extra mile or two miles and make sure that he brings the sheep to a safe place so that they can be refreshed. The next thing about a good shepherd, it says, he leads me down the right path. It's so important that preachers aren't afraid to be preachers of righteousness. There is a right and there is a wrong. And we are so afraid of offending people, we are so afraid of the masses leaving us that we compromise truth. I wanna tell you that truth is not negotiable. Truth is not negotiable. Jesus said, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life. The moment truth is negotiable, you have written Jesus out of the story. The spirit of truth will always bring us to truth. The moment truth is a negotiable thing, you open the doors to deception. He says, a good shepherd leads me down the right path. In Jeremiah chapter three, verse 15, God says, I will give you shepherds after my own heart who lead you with knowledge and understanding. They'll take you down the right path. The fourth point, and I'm doing this real brief. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the shepherd is with me. You see, the shepherd will be where the sheep are. And when the sheep are hurting and when the sheep are grieving, a real man of God or a real woman of God will be there with the sheep. They care about what the sheep are going through. They care about what the sheep is experiencing. God puts a high requirement on shepherds because he puts a high value on you. So we're getting the picture. Shepherds have got to do the right thing. So now I'm going to ask the question again, what requirement does he put on the sheep? Number one requirement that every sheep needs to be willing to be a part of, and that is accountability. Do you know a shepherd cannot look? Could you imagine if sheep were like humans? And we skip from paddock to paddock. Oh, today I want to join these sheep and hang out with them. And tomorrow, I'm going to go four miles down the road and I'm going to hang out in another paddock with other sheep where that shepherd has no history with me, doesn't know what I'm prone to, and he will never get to know me, and I just keep hopping around. You see, there's a responsibility on sheep too. 
And the responsibility is to be present and accounted for. You see, we don't like being accountable today. We like to be independent. We like to be self-serving. We like to keep everyone away at an arm's distance. Did you know that you cannot shepherd sheep through social media? Pastor Google does not have a responsibility to you. Pastor YouTube doesn't give a care what you're going through. He's not going to show up when your mother's on her deathbed. And everybody wants to be a pastor, a prophet, and an evangelist on YouTube, and they'll say whatever they have to say so that their ratings go up because they get monetary incentives the more people are listening to what they have to say. And we are letting social media be our pastor instead of allowing shepherds that God will hold accountable to be our shepherds. You can't get your teaching from someone who isn't invested enough in you that they don't even know your name. God is not going to hold Pastor YouTube accountable on the day of judgment for your life. But he will hold me accountable on the day of judgment for your life. It behooves Pastor Google and Pastor YouTube to say the things you want to hear so that you come back to hear them again. Because the more you hear them, the more the numbers click away and advertisers will pay to be on that site. It's a great source of income. We don't want to be accountable. And so we want to hop along to this church and to that pasture and to that place. And no one knows anything about us. So let me teach you a little bit about shepherding and sheep since I spent 29 years in Australia, and its number one farming industry is sheep. So there are a few things we need to know. Sheep get a disease called foot rot or hoof rot. Sheep have a split hoof, and uh, what happens is if the skin breaks in between the hoof, which is made of a similar material as your nail, not much different than a horse's hoof. But if the skin breaks, there are two strands of bacteria that get in. And when it gets into the broken skin, what will happen is that it starts to eat the flesh and it also starts to deteriorate the actual hoof. So foot rot, causes two complications. Number one, it weakens the ability or the integrity, the strength of the sheep's hoof. And number two, it can make them crippled. Now this is a very important analogy. Let me explain why. The apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians says this, having done all, how many times you feel like you've done everything you can and you're still waiting for that breakthrough? Right? Having done all, stand. If the enemy can give you foot rot, it will compromise your ability to stand. 
Do you ever watch these nature programs on TV? You watch the animal kingdom on the plains of the Serengeti. And we, we call it nature. That's nature. No, it isn't. It's fallen nature. Before the fall, the lion laid down with the lamb. And after, at the completion of our salvation, when God makes a new heaven and a new earth, the lion will lay down with the lamb again. And so when we see cat eat dog and dog eat cat, that is not nature, that is fallen nature. In the kingdom that God created, everything lived together harmoniously. What we see as normal and natural is a picture painted by the kingdom of darkness. But we watch these shows. Did you ever notice the cheater gets down on its haunches and hides just below the tips of the golden grass and he's watching the herd? And he's looking for vulnerabilities. He's looking for the youngest. He's looking for the oldest. He's looking for the weakest. And then when he launches, he watches the herd. And if you watch these shows, you'll see he's eyeing up one fella. There's a gazelle. He's going for him. But the guy's taken off with great speed. And he notices there's one to his right. And it's lagging a little bit. And suddenly he shifts slightly his direction. Because in the flight of the fear of the herd, he sees a greater vulnerability. And one is getting left behind. And he says... Fast food, dinner. Your ability to stand is important because it's your ability to outweigh your enemy. And so sheep get foot rot. Uh, there are two things uh, that will happen. Number one, you can notice they have foot rot because they start to limp. Everyone look at me. The importance of being under the watchful eye of a shepherd is so that he can notice when you're limping. If we're not under the careful observation of shepherds, no one's there to notice when we're limping. Number two, you can tell they have foot rot when a sheep is grazing and it's holding up one leg like this here and it's only standing on three, it means it, it feels the pain when it puts pressure on that leg. Number three, sometimes a shepherd will see that a sheep is standing on his hind legs but he's leaning on his forearms rather than on his hooves. And it's an indication. Number four, Here's the fourth way that a shepherd can tell a sheep has foot rot. He checks his hooves and he smells. And when you read this and you study this, it literally says that once a shepherd has smelled the foul odor of foot rot, he will never mistake it for anything else. And so when we get foot rot, 
because it's decaying and death is taking place, we're losing our ability to stand. It smells like death because it is death working its way into the hoof. If a sheep isn't accountable to a shepherd, if a sheep is allowed to roam and just go anywhere, and every week he just visits a different pen, he's just with a different group of sheep, it doesn't matter, we're all sheep anyway. No one ever has a history and no one is ever watching the well-being and the tendencies of that particular sheep. In fact, foot rot is not only dangerous to the point that it'll take a sheep's life. Could you imagine a gazelle who had foot rot on the Serengeti? You know he's not going to last. Some lioness, some cheater, some wild beast is going to take that thing down as fast as possible. Did I say in the beginning that I've never found a demon on strike? I've never found a demon that's lazy. I've never found a demon a wall. They're watching. Their sole purpose, the whole kingdom of darkness exists for one reason and one reason only, and that is to take you down. And that's the truth. If you don't want to believe me, Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. There's nothing that demons enjoy more than to see humanity messed up. There's nothing that they want more than to see you torn from limb to limb. And the sole reason is because Lucifer, who wanted to be greater than God, lost his glory, lost his position, lost his power, and then watched God scoop up some mud and breathe into it. And he created mankind and he crowned him with glory and honor. You have a target on your back. Devils hate you. Demons despise you. And there isn't a lazy one around. And the same way you have a guardian angel, you have a demon who's got you in his sights. And so God puts a high demand on shepherds because he knows there's an invisible force looking to take the sheep down. And God gets really upset when a shepherd isn't doing his job. And that's why God will judge shepherds. But there's a requirement on sheep too. And that is you've got to let the shepherd get close enough to you. You see, these are the precautions a shepherd has to take to prevent foot rot from going through the whole flock. Do you know that foot rot is so contagious that if one sheep has foot rot in his hooves, as he's standing on the grass, as he's standing on the paddocks, he's leaving bacteria behind. And if another sheep steps on the same blades of grass, he will get the bacteria that will lead to foot rot. That's how contagious it is. So, these are the precautions. This is what they do. Every visitor who comes to their farm has to dip their boots in a diluted bleach solution to kill any foreign bacteria on the soles of their boots before they enter the barn or set foot on the fields. 
Number two, if they buy new sheep at the market, they have to be quarantined because it spreads too quickly. Number three, they have to make an effort to keep the sheep pens and the paddocks and the pastures in good condition to avoid injury to the sheep's feet. You see, foot rot can't get in unless there is a cut in the skin between the hooves. And so they have to keep stones out of the way. They have to keep the, the, the paddocks free and clear so that the sheep avoid injury. That's why a shepherd has to take sheep down the right path. And number four, they need to regularly trim their hooves. Can I have your hoof for a minute? And so a good shepherd has to take the hoof and there's a split hoof there. And in between the hoof, you know what the shepherd often finds? Sheep are not potty trained. So the paddock is filled with sheep poo, okay? And guess what? As sheep go from blade to blade, they step in other sheep's business. And so not only does the shepherd have to be willing to have the sheep's foot in his hand and get close to it and inspect it, sometimes he has to carve out the manure, the fecal matter of other sheep. You mingle with people and on a regular basis, people are dropping their business all over the place, mentally and emotionally, and you're stepping in there. Come on. Come on. Uh-huh. Come on. You know it. We step in other people's business and then we smell like their business. And a sheep has to be accountable. It's got to be willing to be close enough so a shepherd could get in there and clean out another sheep's crap from the middle of your hooves. But a shepherd who's only doing this for popularity isn't going to pay that price. He's not going to go that extra measure. He doesn't care. The only thing he's in it for is what he can get and what he's gonna get is pay at the end of the week. So he will watch, but not with a watchful eye. He will watch with his head, but not with his heart. And God says, when there are shepherds like that, they don't care about the sheep, and it makes me very, very angry. And the lack of care that they bestowed on the sheep is the judgment I will bestow on them. But a shepherd won't be held accountable for sheep who don't want to stay with the flock. You see, we don't think going to church is a big deal. But every analogy the Bible gives from Old Testament to New Testament, it is a big deal. This isn't my job. This is my life. I'm not looking for a promotion. I preached here for 20 years in Australia. I was, after pioneering four churches, uh, I became noticed, and before you know it, I was traveling the world and teaching in training centers for the movement I was a part of. 
I've preached here now for 20 years, put my nose to the ground, and I've taken care of people's hooves. I trimmed the hooves and I got the file out and I ground it down so that it wouldn't have sharp edges. I cleaned the crap out from between the hooves of other people's messes. And we all carry other people's messes as well as our own mess. And I've been faithful and I've never once promoted myself or looked for an invitation, never asked anyone to invite me to preach in their church. And last year, suddenly within uh, six weeks, God brought three invitations that now have led me to preach to pastors in Victoria at a conference. I preached in Brazil to a pastor's conference, about to go to Argentina to preach at another pastor's conference. But faithfulness comes when there's faithfulness to little things. Everybody wants to arrive at the big picture. How did David become the king of a nation? He became the king of a nation by looking after one sheep at a time. He was a shepherd boy sitting on a hillside with a harp, worshiping God and looking after his father's sheep. He didn't care about the pay at the end of the week. No, I can prove it to you. Because when a lion came to take one sheep, he said, not on my watch, buddy. But it's only a lamb. Your father might sacrifice it and eat it for dinner. And David's attitude was, it doesn't matter. It's my father's sheep. It's not your sheep, Mr. Lion. And so David went out and met the lion face to face and showed the lion that he had a bigger roar than the king of the jungle. Satan might be the king of the jungle, and it is a jungle but the roar of Christ in you is bigger, it is better, and it is stronger. How did he become the king of a nation? Looking after one sheep at a time. David tells the story, a bear came. Holy moly, I wouldn't want to face a bear, a bear on any grounds, let alone to save the life of a sheep. If David was doing it for the pay packet at the end of the week, he would have reasoned, if I go face that bear to save one lamb, I might not see the end of the week. He was willing to lay his life down. You see, you look after God's kingdom, God will look after your kingdom. And so David looked after the kingdom of sheep headbutting each other. And he looked after a smelly, woolly kingdom. And God said, you have been faithful and little and I will make you the king of my kingdom. We see over and over again, there is an accountability for shepherds, but there is an accountability for sheep. And the accountability is you gotta make yourself available. We live in a society where we want to keep arm's distance. We don't want people to get too close to us. And here's the problem. Nobody sees your problem like the people around you. You see, if you understand the strategy of war, a strategy of demons, if they're really going to take you down, they have to make themselves so inconspicuous to you. 
Because if you see them sitting on your shoulder, you're gonna take a swipe at them. So for a moment, I want to talk about everybody else in the world, but I'm not talking about you. So I want you to answer honestly, because I'm not talking about you. How many of you have been in situations where you have seen people's glaring failures and their brokenness, seen problems in their lives, and they don't see it themselves? How many of you? Now we're talking about everyone else, not you. Here's the problem. Most of us are like the rest of us. And the strategy of demons is the last people to see where the enemy is working is the people the enemy is working on. And so the best strategy of protection to be in close proximity of other like-minded brothers and sisters because they will see, hey, your shirt's hanging out. Hey, your shoelace is undone. <laughs> we were finishing praise and worship and three of the women came up to me. I didn't notice. And uh, my shoelace was completely undone. And Tamika uh, grabbed my shoe and said, Pastor, before you trip. And she starts tying up my shoelace. Made it easy for me. I didn't have to bend down. It takes me longer to get down and to get up than it used to, you know? Not that I wanted her at my feet, but that's the point. When you are in close proximity with other brothers and sisters who care, they will see the things that can take you down and a simple gesture of love and concern can save you from a fall. Let me share with you uh, another thing. Sheep can get nasal bot. And what is nasal bot? When a sheep uh, has mucus around their nose, okay, they get a runny nose. Ryan, you know me well. Sitting three seats in isn't going to help you, so I'm going to just keep picking on you, all right? <laughs> is that all right that I pick on him? Go for it. And so sometimes sheep, you know, they are profuse in having a runny nose. And what happens, just like with little kids, if mommy's not wiping their nose, the flies come around. And they're attracted to all that gooey stuff. And the problem is that out in the fields, because there's poo all over the paddock, there are a lot of flies. And so flies will come during mating season, and now they want to lay their eggs. And so they find a lot of gooby stuff around the nose, and they start crawling around, sniffing, licking, and then they lay their eggs. And the maggots, the larvae of the fly is a maggot. It's a worm that eats meat. And it crawls up the nose and works its way into the brain. They say that you can tell when a sheep has got nasal bot because it will bang its head against a rock trying to deal with the maggots that are inside its head. Not only that, 
They will crawl through the mouth, and they will crawl into the ears. Now, if we go back to Psalm 23, David says, the Lord is my shepherd. And then he says, he anoints my head with oil. Meaningless. What's that useless piece of information there for? Because the shepherds used to take a waxy, oily substance, and they would wipe the eyes of the sheep so that they wouldn't lay maggots that would crawl and eat through their eyes, go past the socket into the brain. And they would go around the nose. This may not be a pleasant thing. I mean, I don't usually go around picking people's noses. I hope you know that. Okay, don't come up to me after church and say, hey, here's my nose. Uh, find someone else. But the shepherd will then grease around their nose and around the mouth and he takes their ears and he takes that anointing oil and he rubs the outside and he gets inside the ear and he rubs it. You know why? Because the flies can't lay their maggots there. The Lord is a good shepherd. He gets in our face. The Lord is a good shepherd. He gets in our face. He gets in our space. There is an accountability on sheep to be available so that the shepherd can do what God is going to hold him accountable for. Come on, we got to get real. These analogies aren't in the Bible because God just, you know, schizophrenically writes poetic things that have no relevance. Jesus taught in parables, but every parable had a specific spiritual truth. And so when God uses illustrations, they are relevant. He's not a ding-dong and he's just talking out of his, the left side of his mouth. No. The Lord is my shepherd. He anoints my head. You know what this is? This is proximity. This is a sheep Allowing your shepherd to do what a shepherd is supposed to do so that the sheep can have the best life that the sheep can have. Amen. There's another disease called fly strike. <laughs> we might as well go the distance, buddy. <laughs> Come here. <laughs> Put your back to the crowd because you won't want them seeing your face when I do what I'm gonna do. <laughs> Fly strike. Sheep are woolly. How many men here have hair under their arms? Raise your hand. I see. <laughs> Only a few of you raise your hands. How many men have hair under their arms? Okay, even if you shave it, but hair grows under your arms. Sheep, have wool everywhere, even around their derriere. <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but sheep aren't potty trained. And I don't know if you know this, but sheep don't use toilet paper. And hair, wool, grows all over their butt. And when they have diarrhea, and sheep have diarrhea often, I'm telling you truthful things. I'm not trying to make it gross. 
You could look up the articles, research it yourself. Juliet's there. She knows I'm telling the truth. Well, do they get diarrhea regularly? Okay. And it splurts. And it splatters. And it starts to stick. And they can't wipe their butts. How many moms do I have in the house? Come on. Are you getting grossed out or did you have to do this with your children? Come on. You know when they do their business, it becomes your business because it squirts out everywhere. Okay? And hopefully there are dads here that know what I'm talking about because you've been that involved with your kids. I hope. That is not a female gender specification job. You're going to make sure PD sees this sermon, aren't you? Right, okay. <laughs> this is a good time for me to say, please go on Facebook and YouTube and share this link. <laughs> and so sheep, as they do their business, it starts to accumulate around the wool. And it creates little clusters. I'm, I'm telling you the truth. In Australia, we have a name for it. Juliet, what's the name? D-A-G, a dag. It's a clump of fecal matter interwined with the wool. And flies come along and they go They're gonna get you coming and going. From top to bottom. You are their target. And if you think demons are any different, you think wrong. They're on assignment to take humanity down. And the church is happy to go to church and just sing Kumbaya. The church was meant to be the expression of God. The church of Jesus Christ is meant to look like Jesus Christ and do the things Jesus did. Every one of us is called to be a preacher and to win people to Jesus so that demons can be broken off of their lives and people can be set free. So the shepherd has to be able to be close enough to the sheep. He's gotta have relationship with the sheep where he sees what's going on in the sheep's life. But we don't want people in our business. When we don't want people in our business, your business will be the death of you. And a demon will make sure of it. Lions, cheaters, lepers, look for the one. That's out of the pack. Come on. Amen. Good preaching, Pastor Rob. And so the shepherd has to shave the sheep's butt so that he's butt naked. It's for his protection. His life depends on it. Literally. Juliet, am I exaggerating? She was a sheep farmer in Australia. Their life depends on it. And a good shepherd will go where other people don't want to go. 
A good shepherd knows he's accountable to the head shepherd. A hireling says, <laughs> sorry, I don't mind putting my hands through their wool and getting lanolin on my hands. It's good for the hands, but you're asking too much. That's below my pay grade. Not above, below. I'm not going there. You see, a sheep has an accountability. It has a responsibility, and that is to let a shepherd get close, to get in your space. But today, we are so independent, and we are so careful, and we are so leery of everybody else. We keep everyone at an arm's distance. I am going to be held accountable, but I will not be held accountable for sheep who don't want to be sheep. It would be unjust if God held me accountable for people who made it their business to stay 10 miles away. God is not unjust. He will hold me accountable for you. And what I'm saying is for your well-being, let your shepherds get close to you. You can take your seat. Thank you. Yeah, give them a, a big hand. Let me stitch this all together. What am I saying? There is a reason why God put a structure in the church and gave us shepherds. And they met in the temple. I've been quoting this verse for the last three weeks. They met in the temple and they met in house to house. This is very important. You see here, I can lead you to green pastures. Here, I can teach you deep things, profound things, funny things, relevant things, things that are gonna get under your skin. Here, I can take you down the right path. Here, I could even lead you to still waters. But I cannot be in your face the way a shepherd needs to be in your face, checking you and inspecting you. Do you know that even in fallen nature, in the wild kingdom, even monkeys have enough socialness that they will groom each other and look for gnats. And you see monkeys and they'll find the gnat and then they'll eat it. And they go through their fur and they're checking them. And you will see lionesses going up to other lionesses, licking the wound and caring and tending for one another. And that's in a fallen world, in a wild kingdom. I made this analogy in the first service, and I know I'm running out of time, but this was such a phenomenal analogy. I watched a program on Netflix this week, and it's about divers who dive uh, where there's a lot of bull sharks. Numerous kinds of sharks, but especially bull sharks. And if I didn't see it with my own eyes, I really would have been skeptical and very hard to believe this. But because these sharks know these divers and they will come on a regular basis, they know the ones that are regulars, they know the divers that are not regulars, and they avoid the ones that are new. But the ones that are regulars, the sharks come right up to them, and the divers literally 
you know, the, the shark's head is forward and they rub the top of their head like this here and then they go over the top of the head and you see the camera zooms in and the bull shark's eyes go back in his head. He's enjoying the sensation of touch. And they swim away and they come back like this here and nuzzle up so that the diver can again rub their head and every time their eyes go back in their head. But the sharks who have had negative encounters with humans will be leery. What am I saying? This is true of many different animals in the wild. Do you ever notice when you're watching these nature programs, how do these photographers get so close to a lion? The lion is there, they're here. They're not using a telescopic lens at this point. You can sometimes see from another camera, they are right up to that lion. And the lion doesn't do a thing to them because they are regular visitors and they never do the animal any harm. So they don't become a threat. You know what the enemy does with sheep? He makes sure that another sheep butts you and hurts you. He makes sure that you have a negative experience with another human being because you become people shy, you become guarded, right? You become jaded, you put your walls up, you keep your distance. And it might have happened with a former spouse, it might have happened with your mother or your father, it might have happened with someone who was close to you, and what we learn is don't get close. And we allow the wounds from the kingdom of darkness to govern how we live today. And the enemy knows that if he could keep you guarded and jaded and keep you at a distance, a shepherd could never do the job God's going to hold him accountable for. What does that mean? He knows he will get you out of the pack alone. And then you're going to be lunch dinner and breakfast. We don't want people in our business. The first recorded sin in human relationship, one human's relationship to another was between two brothers. Cain was jealous of his brother Abel and he killed him. And God came to him and he said, Cain, where's your brother? And Cain, full of spirits of darkness. This is how the kingdom of darkness talks. Everybody look at me, look at me. Because you're gonna hear my voice, you're gonna hear what I say and you will never be free from the accountability of what I'm about to say. The voice of demons, the voice, the attitude, the mindset of the kingdom of darkness said this, am I my brother's keeper? Cain wasn't full of the Holy Spirit when he said that. He was full of angry, hateful, vengeful, demonic spirits. The answer to that question is you are your brother's keeper. 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 In the body of Christ, if my right arm isn't somehow attached to my left arm, I've got a serious problem. 
In the body of Christ, we have to be accountable for one another and we have to be accountable to each other. Don't let the wounds of the kingdom of darkness determine how you live today. Because if you live out of the wounds that have been inflicted by the kingdom of darkness, you will be their dinner tomorrow. There's a reason why the church met in the temple and then they met house to house. Because in the temple, I can't inspect your hooves. In the temple, I'm not going to look at your butt. That was meant to be a little bit funny. <laughs> All right. Bit of comic relief. But in small groups from house to house, brothers and sisters who love you and care for you, will be able to say, hey, your shoe's untied. Several times it happened recently, Pastor Steve came up to me and says, he's my son-in-law, he's my son. And he said, hey, Dad, zip her up. <laughs> I'm so glad he told me before I went up there. <laughs> we need to be in community so that community can look after us. I won't see my own enemy, but you will. And you won't see yours, but I will. And so there is a strategic purpose why God made it part of the pattern of the early church. They met in the temple, and they met house to house. I want all my connect group leaders to stand. Pastor Jan runs a connect group. She runs prayer meeting. And that's a connect group on Tuesday nights, but she also runs a group in her house. Chrissy and Barbara run a connect group in Gina's house. Uh, Tamika and Melissa. She had to go. Melissa, she had to go. Uh, they, they run a connect group together. Uh, Jeanette, Alicia runs a connect group in Barbara's house. Uh, Beth and Paul run a connect group. Uh, Steve and Lisa run a connect group. Pastor uh, Donna runs a connect group. Um, Col uh, Colleen and uh, Angie run a connect group. Juliet runs a connect group. Pastor Daniel and uh, Pastor Gabriela run a connect group. Amber runs a connect group. And we have a few more about to start. Listen to me. I've had people come in this church for four or five weeks They've left other churches, and I've had workers tell me they're actually inviting our young people to go to their home group, and then after they've, petitioned, they've solicited some of our young people, then they left the church. Paul says it in his epistles. Some come among you as shepherds, but they're nothing but wolves. Self-appointed people are people that are giving you warning their trouble. Every leader here is held accountable by the leadership of this church. And I will not put leaders in who will not do it for the love of the sheep. And I'll be honest, if it ever becomes an egotistical thing and it's not for the love of the sheep, the same way I gave a title, I'll take a title. This is not for our benefit. This is for the benefit of each and every person here. Would you stand with me?
We're not pushing connect groups because it's the latest fad. This is how the church did church. I encourage you. I encourage you to get involved. Now look, will I stop being your pastor if you can't or you don't? No. But I can never be as good a pastor as you deserve. And no one will be. The best shepherd is the one who's close enough to check out your beard. The best shepherd is the one that you allow close enough that he can tell you things maybe someone else wouldn't tell you. If shepherds are going to be held accountable, God would be unjust if sheep could do whatever they want. I don't mind being held accountable. When I signed on many years ago, I do. This isn't about me. It's not about becoming rich or famous. And it's not about everyone else being a lackey running around being my bodyguard or my armor bearer. I know how to fight for myself. I don't need other people to run around and serve me. The first will be last. And the last will be first. You know what Jesus did? He got down on his knees and he said, Peter, I'm going to wash your feet. Peter said, no, 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 Lord. I can't let you wash my feet. He's coming from the mentality that the greatest has to stay up on top. And Jesus said, if you don't let me wash your feet, Peter, you can't be part of me. Because in my world, a leader's a servant. That's what Jesus is saying. He said, Peter, if you don't let me wash my feet, you can't come into my world. My world is different than out there. And when Peter got it, he said, Lord, wash my armpits too. I mean, wash all of me. In the kingdom of God, God's not looking for superstars. He's looking for people who will carry a cross and at a moment's notice lay down on that cross and die so that somebody else could be set free. Those that want to be first will be last. And those who make themselves last, God says, I'll make them first. See, God doesn't read lips. He reads hearts. And he looks into the heart of every man and every woman. So I'm willing to be accountable. I've been doing this for well over 40 years. I will be held accountable. In fact, it says, don't aspire to be a teacher because teachers will be held to an even higher level of accountability. Me and my big mouth. I get myself into trouble. Here I am, the teacher, the preacher. Now I knew what I was signing up for. Look at me, everyone just look here for a second. You know what I was signing up for? Your life. I signed up for your life. I don't know your name yet. Ayana. Uh, sorry? Ayana. Ayana. So I don't know your name yet. I just found it out. But if you decide to be part of this home, it is my life to make sure that you are presented before Jesus one day as his bride. Oh, amen. amen. Ayana, I might be able to fool some of the people. 
When I stand before God, I will not be able to fool him. I may be dumb, but I'm smart enough to know. Nobody fools God. And so when I stand before him, I'm naked. No excuse will cover me. I will be held accountable. Sheep, will you be available? Will you be, let people account for you? Will you allow yourself to get close enough? I encourage you. Paul said in Hebrews 10, and consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. I think I proved over the last few weeks, how did the church get together? House to house and in the temple. And Paul says, spur one another on and don't forsake getting together. Summer's in the habit of doing but encourage one another to do so all the more as you see the day approaching. What day is approaching? His return. Dave, are we close to the end? Do you think things are crazy? What do you think? What do you think? Very close. He said, even more as you see the day approaching. Church, I'm not trying to up the attendance. I'm trying to get very serious about your well-being. I have shepherds under me. I'm an apostle in this house. I have shepherds under me. I am their pastor. And I train them how to pastor. And they're here to pastor you together with me. The day's coming. We need to get back to the structure of the early church so that when Jesus comes, we are his church. Amen. Amen. Hey, how are you? Good. Good. You're beautiful. I'm glad you know. That's good. Because eyeballs are so funny. Yeah, those eyes are funny. Well, you see, a child isn't full of the wounds. I barely know your daughter, but I'm glad she trusts me. And that's exactly how sheep have to be. God will hold us accountable. Is Princess, and Je um, Princess Friends and Jesus? Is Princess who friends with Jesus? Um, I think she is. Are you friends with Jesus? Um, yeah. Yay! Give me a high five. If I don't return her to her mother, this little girl is going to steal my show. <laughs> I'm kidding. Church, we need to get in close proximity. We need to be accountable. You won't see the enemy in your life. But people who love you will. Shepherds will. We are safe together. We are lunch on our own. Can I get an amen? amen? All right. I want you to share this on Facebook, share this on YouTube, because the church of America needs to hear this. We become very independent. We pick and choose, and we're not rooted or grounded anywhere. You need to be rooted and grounded. You need to be a, shep a sheep with a shepherd. Amen. And we are our brother's keeper. 
every eye closed, if you've never asked Jesus in your heart, if you walked away from the things of God, it's okay, but it's time to come home. Right now, if you've never asked Jesus in your heart, if you've walked away, it's time to say, I want to come back. I want Jesus in my life. While every eye is closed, if you want to accept Christ into your life, raise your hand. Come on, raise your hand. Good girl. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. God bless you. I see that hand. God bless you. Who else wants to say yes to Jesus? You can put your hand down. I saw that man up the back. I saw the man in the front. This is awesome. Who else wants to say yes to Jesus? Awesome. Fantastic. I feel like on my left, three quarters of the way up, this little girl is raising her hand. Three quarters of the way up, I, I just feel in my heart drawn to that area. I believe there's someone there you're resisting, but God loves you and he's calling you. He's calling you. He wants to come in your life. He, he wants you to make this for real, not for pretend. Those of you that raise your hand and everyone in this house, repeat this prayer after me. Dear God, wow, you really care. I really am important to you. Thank you for loving me more than I love me. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my rebellious ways. Jesus Christ, I'm asking you I want you in me and I want you to lead me and guide me. Help me. I surrender to you. You are my God. Thank you, Father, for hearing my prayer. Amen. Now, Father, you've given me authority in the realm of the Spirit. And together with the other believers here, they have authority. And for these that have said yes to Jesus today, we come in agreement. And we break the chains and the bondages of darkness off of them. We take the blood of Christ and wash them free of every shame and guilt and every unclean thing. Father, today, in the name of Jesus, as these people have said yes to you, you have already said yes to them. And in the name of Jesus, I command forces of darkness to let them go. In Jesus' name, you have no authority over them because the blood of Jesus covers their life and it has taken them out of your governmental control into the influence of the kingdom of God. I thank you for them. Holy Spirit, touch them. Let them sense. Let them have a confirmation of God's presence in them right now. In Jesus' presence.